0: In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Rejoice. Rejoice, O Jerusalem. Rejoice, people of God. We shall party in the house of the Lord. Rejoice. So welcome to Refreshment Sunday, Mothering Sunday, Lightere Sunday, if you will, 21 days from Easter. It is intended to be a Sunday of rejoicing. When it comes to the story we just heard about two boys and their father, people have preached it from every angle you can imagine— Looking out at the number of active and retired clergy we have here, I'm guessing about 200 times just here in the room. And some have tried to be fresh and novel by preaching the story from the point of view of the father, the older brother, the younger brother, the pigs. Okay, (laughs) so I've never actually heard that one, but it's surely just a matter of time. You know, you can even do what one well-known writer suggested was in a way to tell it from the fatted calf's point of view. So when it's all said and done, we still have the same basic story that Jesus told to make the same basic point. One of uh, the Bible commentaries that I look at says that this is perhaps the crown and flower of all the parables. The story appears only once in the Bible. It is only found here with St. Luke. And as we read the account, I can't help but be captivated by the story because it is a good story, and it's a story about rejoicing. So Luke writes... All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response to them, Jesus has this to say. There was a man who had two sons. Sounds a bit like a limerick we really can't finish here in church, doesn't it? (laughs) Most of us know this story as the story of two sons, or the parable of the prodigal and his brother, or we really know it as the parable of the prodigal son. I prefer the literal translation, a certain man had two sons, as there is more than one prodigal person in the parable. So first, what does prodigal mean? If you don't know, don't worry, I was last Tuesday years old before I even bothered to look it up. As an adjective, The word prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. And as a noun, it means a person who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. And the younger son in the parable lives into the definition really well. He goes to his father and he says, you know what, pops? I want it. I want my stuff and I want it now. Now, a couple of things that we should know about inheritance at that time because well, scriptural context matters. So under the rules of inheritance at that time, two sons will split their father's estate, two-thirds will go to the firstborn son, and one-third will go to the younger son. Thank you, Deuteronomy. Most people, even snotty, spoiled, self-absorbed little brothers, Most people have the grace to wait until their father's in the ground to take their fair share. But this guy, apparently, he is ready to partay. So a few days later, the son gathered up all he had, which doesn't mean he pulled up stakes or packed up. Think instead, check into cash or pawn shop. He converts everything to cash, he liquidates everything, and he leaves. And don't think that other people didn't know about it, because It's a Small World came long before Disney. The whole community knows it. So for the father, this isn't just about losing financially. It's about a very public destruction of a relationship and about public humiliation. So the younger son, he squanders all his money on whatever loose living looks like in the first century, and he hits rock bottom. And what is rock bottom in the first century? Well, Luke makes it very clear when he has spent everything. He has nothing left. He is broke, he has nothing to eat, and he does what no self-respecting Jew would ever do. He hires himself out to a Gentile pig farmer. And there he feeds the pigs, but he receives no food himself. Now, chances are good that his speech and his dress give him away as being Hebrew. And I can just imagine it's possible that this this farmer might have given this young man this particular job really just to rid himself of him. I think it's hard for us to grasp how this would be for someone whose culture and religion loathes pigs. Some commentators suggest that the pods Luke writes of aren't even something that human beings can digest or should eat. So He can't eat them even if he wants them. He can't eat what the pigs are eating. Nobody's giving him anything. So finally, at the end of his rope, he decides, I'm going to go back to my father, and I will beg him to take me back. I feel like it's important maybe for us to ask the questions, why did he wait so long? Why didn't he return sooner? Why did he stoop so low? Well, according to Jewish custom, he is almost unable to go home. There was a ceremony known as the Kezaza, which means literally the cutting off. So if a Jewish boy lost his family inheritance among the Gentiles and sought to return home, the community would perform a ceremony by breaking a large pot in front of him and saying, so-and-so, let's say Marcel, Marcel, you are cut off from your people. And once that was done, he would be an outcast and no one would have anything to do with him anyway. So going home wasn't that easy. So back to the story. So the younger son, he decides to go home to beg his father to take him back, not as a son but as a servant. But the father, who has been looking on the horizon every day for this son, he sees him long off and he rejoices and he runs to the boy which we should also note that patriarchs don't run to people who have done what that boy did they don't make the first move in the situation but this one does and he runs to the boy and he falls on him and he kisses him he puts his best robe on him literally the clothing off his back he puts a ring on his finger to symbolize reinstatement and sandals on his feet to say, you are no longer a servant, you are my beloved, my son. And then he calls the whole village to a huge feast to celebrate with meat that was not a part of a daily diet. It was reserved for the very best and most special occasions. So that's the son we know from the story. But there are two sons. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Notice where the older brother is when Jesus brings him into the story. He's in the field, doing his job, doing what he is supposed to do. And it dawns on him what is happening. His brother is home. His father's throwing a huge party, and his reaction is fury. His father comes out pleading with him and rejoicing, inviting him to the party, but the older son is indignant. He says, all these years I have worked for you. I have done nothing but slave for you. I've never disobeyed you, yet you've never, ever given me anything like this. Not to celebrate with my friends. And then here he comes, the son of yours. He can't even say his name. This son of yours, he comes back. He's devoured your property. He's given it to prostitutes. And you kill the fatted calf for him? I wouldn't come to that party if it was the last party on earth. Can you blame him? Can you blame the older brother for feeling this way? His brother essentially stole a third of his father's money and set it on fire. And somehow, now, he's the good son. I mean, what's a guy got to do to get some attention around that house? The father says, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate. Your brother is back. And he was lost. But now he's found. You know, one of the gifts of the parable of the prodigal son... I don't pretend to think I can change the name. Is that while there is an obvious interpretation, the father is God, the younger brothers, people who go astray, the older brothers, people who don't? We can all enter the story into any character we want and learn from him. You know, many of us can relate to the father. We live through seeing those who are closest to us really make a mess of our relationships. To sin against us, to sin against God and themselves, and we have to decide how are we going to react when they come crawling back? If we're the father in this scenario, do we do what he did? Do we look constantly for that lost person to come back so that we can greet him or her with joy and open arms? Some of us can relate To the younger brother, I have an older brother. My brother, I can tell you, is kinder than me, more compassionate than me, more devoted than me. I can relate to the younger brother. Maybe we're not total screw-ups, but, you know, we've hit one big screw-up right out of the park. And then we realize how good we had it back home. And we come home. Do we have the humility to repent and return? Can we handle the fact that even we, the ones who can squander everything, can still bring joy to those who love us? And some can relate to the older brother. You know, we've we've done at least most things right, and to the point that no one's surprised anymore when we do most things right, and no one throws a party for us when we do most things right, and when we go to church every week and When all our accounts are in order, we have everything, but somehow we take little joy in having everything. Today is Litari Sunday. It's intended to be a day set aside that is different, a Sunday to rejoice. And I wonder for those of us who see ourselves as the older brother, can we repent of our lack of joy? And can we rejoice when our little screw-up brothers get all the attention? Notice that Jesus doesn't tell us what happens to the elder brother. He leaves us kind of at a cliffhanger. Will he go to the party or will he not? Will he go to the party or will he not? (laughs) As much attention gets paid to the younger brother in the parable... I think Jesus leaves us with that cliffhanger because he knew that one day lots and lots of older brothers would hear the parable and have to choose for themselves what they will do. Perhaps God is running toward you with the best robe and the finest ring and lovely sandals to invite you to a party. Will you come to the party God is in the midst of throwing an epic party. It is going on now, and it will go on forever. And so no matter who we relate to in the story, Jesus is holding the door to the party open for us. And if we ever doubt that, we can remember this story of a certain man who had two sons and rejoice Rejoice, O Jerusalem! Rejoice, people of God! We shall party in the house of the Lord. Rejoice!